Advanced Principles Podcast, or app, was created to be an outlet for like-minded individuals to share in the broader conversations on leadership, retail market updates, and incredible personal success stories. On app, you will hear a collection of stories from the titans of the retail industry, as well as thought and practice leaders covering the spectrum of the economy. Please click the subscribe button and look for the newest episodes to be released. You know, in OEM, you, you look at a car manufacturer, they predominantly make money in two ways, the selling of vehicles and the selling of their replacement OEM parts. What are some of the common themes that you see that just get you excited about a well-run back-end operation at a dealership? Brandon Doran is the president and co-founder of Total Performance Solutions, an automotive consulting, training, and distribution company. Total Performance Solutions works with automotive and power sports dealers to help them design and implement processes that increase customer satisfaction, retention, and overall profitability. All right. Well, we'd like to welcome Brandon to the podcast here. Brandon, thank you so much for taking out the time today to uh, uh, talk with us. Brian, appreciate being here and thanks for inviting me. Yeah. So I'm really excited about this. This is such a big topic in our industry. Um, all about fixed stops and service proficiency and the gains that dealers can make. And obviously, right now, as I heard it coined today, we're in an automotive retail nirvana. Um, and they're talking about some of the service needs that dealers are facing, which I know we're going to cover from a staffing aspect, um, how to maximize the opportunity. And I think that this is a often overlooked topic within the retail dealer segment. And I'm really excited to get your take on that and some of the remedies that you and your company have for dealers. So uh, let's just dive right in if you're good with that. Let's do it. Fantastic. So first of all, give us a little background on yourself. Kind of, you know, how'd you find your way into the industry? Um, how'd you find your way uh, with Total Performance Solutions? Um, just kind of an overview. Sure. Well, my life has really been spent in automotive. I had an automotive family. My dad uh, worked and still works for a General Motors plant, uh, originally in Wisconsin, now in Indiana. And my family was kind of one of those fix it ourselves types. So my dad was out putting brakes on the car or whatever repairs were necessary. And I grew up with that as an interest and as a, I guess, a guideline. And I always liked tinkering around, working on cars, had old cars that I started driving. So I wanted to work in that atmosphere. Um, and I started out in a quick lube, you know, in high school, you get a co-op program and you're 15, 16 years old, you get to work half days and Liked that. When I got out of high school, I was going to college for business, but also working at an auto shop um, and just gravitated towards it. And it was something that I liked working with my hands. I liked the environment. So I ended up stopping the normal college. I continued going to college at that point to be a, a technician and was working for a large independent group and liked that. But in times when they needed someone at the counter or they were downstaffed, uh, I would go up and write service and it just came natural to me. Uh, and I started doing things a little bit more on that side. Uh, we were selling some preventative uh, maintenance products of a competitor of ours now. And they liked me. They offered me a job. I went to work for them. I started out uh, just delivering product, tuning up their machines for them. Ended up working my way up to the top of the United States in sales over a few years with them, took over management. Uh, and I liked the 
being in the automotive industry, but also working with a bunch of different car dealers and repair facilities. And I kind of figured, man, this is my niche. I'm good at it. I like people. I like talking to different people who work in this environment. It was always on the service side. And I thought, you know, this was 2014, really 2013, that I really kind of made the decision I was going to start my own company. And I, I just decided to give it a go. I left at that point, I was living in Indiana. Uh, I had a non-compete contract. I couldn't do business anywhere that I'd done business or work with anyone that I'd worked with in the past. So I made a clean start, uh, moved up, sold everything that I owned, my house, all my possessions. At that point, I wasn't married. I didn't have you know, a, a family depending on me. And just hit the reset button, started Total Performance Solutions uh, along with my business partner, Jeff Diebel. And we just started from scratch and started building business with a preventative maintenance revenue stream, but a philosophy of helping dealerships. You know, the, the term, I guess, that we coined in the beginning was helping them design and implement their service department philosophies. And a lot of them didn't have one, maybe still don't. And that's something we'll get into as, as an issue in the, in the dealership world. But we were a jack of many more trades than a vendor. And, and there was a need and there will always be a need for that. And we took off like wildfire and, and began to really penetrate the market. But with a, a business model different than we want to restore, we kind of look at things of if we can partner with the right people and do a great job. Um, it's kind of the 80-20 rule. You can get most of your business from a, a fewer amount of locations anyhow. And we just, in the beginning, guided that direction because we didn't have the capital to go out and go after the world. But yeah, so that's kind of uh, the short story of, of how it came to be. I like the... I've always been kind of a blue collar guy, I guess you could say, uh, even though I wear a suit now to work. Um, I've always loved the service side of the automotive dealership. Uh, it's always felt more comfortable to me than the sales side. They're very different. They're managed differently. They're looked at differently as we'll talk about, but yeah, that's the short story. And now we're, uh, we're working with multiple States. We work with some of the biggest dealers around the country and consulting contracts down in Texas or out in Washington state and had a chance to really learn a lot from the ones that really do get it and do it right. Uh, it's pretty vast how different the, the results are, the approaches and the happiness level of the, of the people that work there and, and that do business with them. Yeah, that's very cool. So that's a great background. Uh, I love the journey kind of starting in the shop and then working your way up mm -hmm. and really being able to assess the dealership from the back end. Um, I think a lot of companies go in through the front door instead of the bay door. And yeah. uh, you do learn a lot when you kind of come in through that bay door. Um, I spent six years in the independent repair world as well with Tires Plus, Total Car Care, and Bridgestone Firestone. Um, and, and it's a grind, but you learn a lot. You learn a lot about how to generate revenue. Uh, 1999 oil change back in the day used to come yeah. in and, you know, how are you going to turn that into $150 retail repair order? Um, which I know your, your, your was one of your core specialties is really looking mm -hmm. at that. So I think it's a great perspective to have. So what are some of the services? And I, I know you do things differently than some of the providers out there. So just giving us an overview of total performance solutions um, and how you represent yourself in the marketplace. Sure. Well, the core business is related to, I guess you could call it under the hood, um, 
services for the car. Really, if there's a fluid on the car, we have a replacement or a, a way to make that system more efficient, whether it's cleaning it up, whether it's exchanging that fluid out, whether it's just maintaining it in a proper way that it's going to continue to work the way that it should. And, and more often than not, when a system in a car fails, it's related to protection of that system. In a lot of cases, that's a fluid. Um, really dropping away and allowing it to become vulnerable to whether it's oxidation or wear. So if you think of any fluid, whether it's a transmission fluid, a coolant, a fuel system, we make products and sell products that will help keep those running well. And it's, you know, it's strange because there's a lot of stereotype in the industry and there's a lot of products out there. You can go to a, a parts store, find a lot of products for two, three dollars on the shelf that are going to have the same claims to fame. But one of the things that I had to look for as we wanted to branch out and find a company to represent uh, was that the quality was top notch, that the ethics were top notch of the manufacturing of it. And the products that we supply from Bartol Manufacturing are all made in America. They've been around since the 30s. They work directly with 15 OEMs around the world. They do business in 93 countries. And to me, one of the most important things was that they still operate the business as a small business, as a family operation. You know, so often a company will find success and then turn into a large corporate mindset where maybe a board of directors of accountants and lawyers are kind of making the decisions based upon black and white. And it changes the dynamic and it changes the, the feel. So that's not been Bardall. We love their product line and it, it fits a need of high quality um, replacements and or ways to improve efficiency and longevity of, of components. People don't realize that the average vehicle on the road is 12 years old. You know, if you're working in a new car dealership, a lot of what you see is a three to five year old car, but across the spectrum, in, it ebbs and flows at the different times of the economy and I guess just the phases that we're in, but people do keep their cars for a while. It's their second largest investment and taking good care of it. I always use these simple analogies like cleaning your gutters or vacuuming your carpet. They make a difference in the longevity of, of those things and taking care of your car is exactly the same. So the products that we sell and we have appearance products for the exterior as well, um, whether it's car wash, detail products, wheel cleaner, paint and fabric protection that we do a little bit of, but predominantly we're focused on prevention uh, of problems and long-term care and efficiency. Yeah, so that's fantastic. So uh, there's a couple of things I, I, I want to pull out of there and unpack a little bit further. Is one, it certainly sounds like you did your your vetting and your due diligence before deciding a product provider to partner with. Um, I think it's fair to say, um, with my experience in the service drive and being around uh, retail dealers for so long, there are so many providers out there. Uh, you know, and the consumers come in and they think they can go to their local parts store and buy a bottle of seafoam for $2.99 and it's going to do the exact same thing. And uh, I think that the contrary is is certainly out there. So with Bardall, um, you know, one, maybe speak to some of the stereotypes that are out there and then some of the vetting process that you did to really land with Bardall, um, who has an uh, impeccable reputation and some, some, some significant wins over their decades and decades of doing business. But what were some of the things that really stuck out to you? Sure. Well, being a, a car guy and being a guy who, who likes to know about the quality of the products, 
the makeup of the chemistry was first and foremost, um, learning in the industry what makes up the right things that you use in a chemistry. Let's take a, a fuel system service, for example. It's a really common one. And it's a really common one that you utilize different, let's call it recipes in order to, on the surface, make the same claims. So when you're cleaning a fuel system, you can use products such as isopropyl alcohol or naphtha, which is a, sort of a different term for paint thinner. Um, products that maybe long ago were used commonly as a multi-purpose product or that have good cleaning characteristics in some capacities, but can be either too aggressive, too widespread, uh, or just not as effective in the cleanup of the specific oxidation that we have in a fuel system. So one of the things that I learned long ago, and I would I would utilize uh, white papers and peer-reviewed journals from different organizations um, like API or, um, and I'm drawing a blank on one that I've quoted so many times over my life, but you know these are watchdog organizations that can't be swayed or bought by a corporation. So there's certain ingredients, and in, in speaking to the fuel system service, that work well and are safe to use. And one of them is, typically listed as an acronym is PEA, but polyetheramine. And that particular solution is very effective. It's very safe. And it attacks the binding agents of what holds carbon molecules together instead of shearing off big chunks of carbon like a, an isopropyl alcohol might do. Alcohol is really versatile. We see it being used in fuel because it will burn. Uh, and it's not the best fuel that we have, but it's readily available and it's a good way to create an additional revenue stream for things that America has plenty of, such as corn. So as I looked using the fuel system service as an example, what recipe are companies using? Very few companies were using the recipe of polyethylamine being their predominant cleaning agent in their fuel system cleaner. And the reason is simple, it's because it costs more. So we've got sort of two ideologies in whether you're making a fuel system cleaner or an oil. Um, are we gonna focus on the marketing of our product and that being not just the label that's on there, but how many people get to see and hear about it in the consumer world. And the way that we do that is typically advertising sponsorships of, think about Lucas Oil Stadium, uh, Indiana, that's everybody's heard of that. So you put your money in kind of one of two directions, R&D and having the best ingredients inside of your product or marketing and having the most people hear your name and have awareness of your company. And this isn't, there's no always, these are the situations, but often the companies that spend all their money on making someone hear about their product don't necessarily have the highest quality product. So I went through sort of that process with Bardol's products. There's research that can be done. There's also testing that can be done to gauge the quality of what's inside these bottles. They certainly weren't the company that was spending their money on getting everyone in the world to hear of them. That's not their business model. But they were the company that was more focused on having a high quality product inside the bottle. And that's what I cared about because my business model is, is not built on 
trying to scream at the top of the building for everybody to hear, hey, we've got these products. I hope that you want to come get them. It's to identify and vet the proper customers as well that will be a good match for our philosophy that we can work together with to form a lifetime partnership. And it checked all the boxes for me. And there weren't many companies out there that did. I was aware of most and, and I am just being in the industry and working in dealerships and independent facilities, just like you mentioned, you get a sense of what's out there. Mm -hmm. uh, you've worked with it or you've seen it or you've had experiences with it. Um, so I kind of knew the, the landscape and this was a great solution. Yeah. And I think with your background, specifically starting at the technician role and then working your way up and, and now owning TPS is you get to see the things that your products now remedy, um, where I think the, the general consumer, especially in today's day and age where you open up the hood and it's just, you know, a plastic cover over everything and no one's doing what you did growing up, which is go out in the driveway and tune up a vehicle or change the brakes themselves or very few people. And you, but you got to see that carbon buildup. You got to, you know, drain that transmission pan and see how black fluid come out. You probably went through the deck school experience with GM where you get the sludge buildup in the radiator. And you, you, I'm sure that you've seen, um, you know, the oil just come out pitch black and with a bunch of sediment in it. So I think that you can speak to that. So one thing that I'm really impressed with your company is other than providers out there, which do just, they drop off a box of chemicals, maybe some donuts and say, hey, great, we'll see you next week or next month or whatever it is, where you go in and you educate the staff because one, you are selling a premium product. Um, you know, Admittedly, it's a little bit more expensive because it works, but that takes an education. Um, and, at, and the service writer, the service director, whoever's writing up that, uh, that customer or presenting to that client, has to be able to convey that value in a very short period of time. So what are some of the, the things, um, because I think that's really, one, the chemicals really work well because of the chemistry. Um, but then I think really what helps is you help the dealership grow by showing them how to build value in a very brief presentation to build that customer confidence. So what are some of the approaches that you take with that? Yeah, and education is the cornerstone of comfortability and success. And in a car dealership, you know, it boils down to what do I feel comfortable with and what do I believe in first and foremost when the employees make decisions on what and how they offer things. So yeah, education on some of the things that you said is the beginning point. We have to make believers and people that feel comfortable offering these services before we can teach them how to offer them. So going through a lot of those things and doing hands-on demonstrations or learning uh, modules with them to teach them what is it about transmission fluid that makes it necessary to change because we see a lot of OEMs now as well talking about lifetime fluids and when you see marketing techniques like that if, if you're not versed in the inner workings of these components it's easy to just assume that wow they made some large technological advancements in the development of this fluid and now it's it's good to go forever. Really, there haven't been that many changes. You know, in OEM, you, you look at a car manufacturer, they predominantly make money in two ways, the selling of vehicles and the selling of their replacement OEM parts. It's not really in their best interest for a car to last for 15 years and you continually drive it that way. They would like you to buy another vehicle. So a lifetime fluid 
you know, what we think of as lifetime and what they think of as lifetime are typically a little different scenario. And, and a, a lifetime might to them mean the lifetime of that warranty, which is still in some cases, maybe only three years long. So we have to educate the, the dealership staff first on that. And, and not just that this fluid may lose its protective capabilities before XYZ time stated, but when we make an owner's manual as, a, as an OEM, if you and I started an OEM today, we don't make a new owner's manual for every country in the world and every climate in the world. We make one and we may have a distinction for severe duty, which everywhere in the Midwest and a lot of America tends to fall right into. But there is a lot of nuance and a lot of variability depending on where people live, how they drive, how often they use their vehicle and what they use it for. So there is a whole semblance of education that has to go on depending on where we are and depending on what types of vehicles there are to help first the employees understand that, you know, we got to compare apples to apples and a transmission fluid, for example, once it gets over 180 degrees in temperature, its rate of breakdown doubles every 18 degrees. So just using your odometer as a, as a gauge of how many, let's say, miles are on this car. You've probably seen these tests where people talk about what's your real aid. You know, there's a lot more factors into just the years. How did you live your life? So, you know, we're in the middle of winter right now. You get kind of stuck at the end of your driveway on a sheet of ice and you're putting it in drive, putting it in reverse and gunning it, trying to get your vehicle some movement. Well, you just heated up that fluid a ton in a very short period of time. So the time that it's spent over 180 degrees and in a system uh, like a car, the way that we cool down that transmission fluid is by running it through the radiator. The radiator will exchange its fluid out by use of the thermostat, typically at a temperature over 180 degrees is cooling. So it's not uncommon in the summer for you especially to be operating your vehicle with a temperature of over 180 degrees on your transmission fluid, which is dramatically reducing its useful life. And most of these fluids, their job is to clean the system, keep it cool and keep it comfortable, so to speak, to keep it simple. So its ability to clean, which is typically a detergency package, is only able to be useful as long as that cleaning capability, its ability to clean and hold on to, let's call it dirt in the system, which is what makes it look black when you pull out a dipstick, it can only hold so much. And when it can't hold more, it starts depositing itself everywhere. And we start this snowball heading downhill of loss of protection, loss of efficiency, increased rate of breakdown of these different components. And if the fluid's black, we waited far too long to exchange it out. So it's just the same as cleaning your gutters. If there's trees growing in them, more than likely you may be replacing the gutters, not just cleaning them out. So that's where the preventative care comes in. So beginning with helping the dealership employees understand that, getting to a point where they believe that and can see and touch and feel it. And many of them, if they've been around cars, are aware, you know, the, the companies that say my CVT transmission's lifetime and then needs to be replaced every three years because of catastrophic failure, it becomes relatively evident. You know, every vehicle manufacturer now has gone to a, a 020 or a 
5W20 ultra low weight oil predominantly because it's more efficient in a fuel economy standpoint, but many of them now have fuel consumption or oil consumption issues, which has now just been deemed normal to use a quart every one to 2000 miles. So they understand, they see that there's a need for something to help with mm-hmm. the, it, it, it dramatically decreases consumer satisfaction when they have all these issues and shortened life expectancy. So, you know, we could talk all day about why and how we have to approach that, but it, beginning with the understanding of these systems needs for preventative care and then moving towards, which in the bigger picture is much more important, the way that we offer these, which isn't just about offering services, it's about building a relationship, becoming a coach, becoming a trusted friend and ally to the customer. This is a good vehicle, a good tool to use a preventative maintenance program to achieve that goal. And that is the end goal is, you know, we look at the circle of life of a car dealership, customer buys the car, Hopefully, if they get into the service department and form a good relationship, they are retained and they come back to buy their next car later down the road because that circle is completed by a long-term trusted ethical relationship. And one of the best ways to achieve that is preventative maintenance. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really good stuff. And I, I, it brings up a great point. So dealers, you know, that, that one-time front-end transaction is really what gets all the headlines at a dealership. They're so focused on the front end, um, you know, the walk around, and they bring training company after training company after training company, run promotion after promotion after promotion to sell the vehicle. And until recently, they were selling that vehicle at a loss compared to invoice and, and the different things that are out there. And then they just chalk it up as good. It's just chasing units, chasing units, where the lifetime value of a customer like you said, if they get introduced to the service drive and build that relationship, which a lot goes into that, you know, expedient service, um, quality of the return of the vehicle, the preventive maintenance aspect, all that. I, I think dealers sometimes short side that. So in your opinion, why do you feel dealers are so focused on the front end and spend very little time or individual investment in the fixed ops part of their dealership? Yeah, it really is interesting. And it's something that we've talked about to no end for, for many years. And it, a lot of it boils down to, um, it's the fun end, the front end, you know, it's Christmas every day up there. It's we're buying a new car. Everything's good. The, the experience is typically positive. Um, and if you're a dealership owner, that's a lot more fun and you hang out more up there in, in times past, look back 20 years, a lot of the service departments were dark and dirty and grungy and, you know, it was an afterthought. And in many dealerships, it still is an afterthought. Although in many dealerships, it's no longer dark, dirty and grungy. It's a mm-hmm. yard, but it's a culture. Um, and that culture really is only forced to change when the revenue stream or the profitability necessitates it. And we've seen periods of that. Uh, anybody that's been in automotive for a while saw it in 2001 after September 11th. They saw it in 08 and 09 during that recession. We really expected to see it uh, during the pandemic. It didn't play out that way. Uh, but when the car sales do dip or the profitability on them dips to a certain point, the focus will shift back to service. But it is interesting because if you 
run the numbers, the average service advisor brings in more profit to the dealership than the average car salesperson. Wow. Consistent. You know, the reason we call it fixed operations versus variable is because it is more consistent. It's for the most part, much more dependable. You don't see the swings up and down that you do in the front end. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of logical sense the way that it's not ignored, but looked at completely differently. And in many ways it is ignored. It's kind of whatever happens, happens out of the service department. We see it all the time. And there's indicators that we can look at to give us a sense of it's been ignored, but really there, there has to just be time and, and energy and value put into that to get it turned around. But the dealerships that have done that and see the light, their profitability statements, their culture, their customer retention, it's night and day. And, you know, there's a lot of ways we can look at a term like retention. And if you, if you look at a new car sales retention as well, we saw them for a few years, well, the car's under warranty and everything's free. You look at used car sales retention back to that particular dealership service department, it's abysmal across the board. Mm -hmm. It's because they're not building the relationship and that relationship is easier to build and lasts longer in an environment where there's more visits, more opportunities to make a friend. And that is the service department. Yeah. Yeah. And I always look at it as, you know, so let's take a dealership that sells a hundred retail units a month, mix, mix of new and used lease, whatever. Um, you know, that they work really hard to get those hundred transactions. And like you said, that's the fun part. That's the celebrated side. But typically, and I want you to kind of validate this with your experiences. I see that dealerships, you know, they'll run a five to 10 times average uh, of ROs to cars sold. So, you know, if they're selling hundred cars a month, they're probably writing 500 to a thousand repair orders a month. We spend all this time and energy focusing on the hundred and we really become somewhat dismissive on the 500 to 1,000. Um, you know, are, are, first of all, are those numbers somewhat accurate? And second of all, if you're talking in the hundreds and even up to 1,000 in that particular center, you don't need a massive bump on every single one. A little bump goes a long way. So you know, what are your thoughts around that? It's 100% true. And one of the other things that is always interesting, you're, yeah, the numbers really vary a lot, but that would be a good uh, sample group. What's interesting is the over time we see, and there's always outliers, but if you look at a, an average, those repair order numbers will stay relatively consistent. Now, isn't that interesting when we're selling new cars to new customers all the time, shouldn't it be growing perpetually if we're That's retaining a great point. Yeah. But it doesn't in many cases because we're not retaining them. But again, it's a good point to say that a small gain over many, many more opportunities does make a bigger difference. So to increase the profitability, to increase the effective labor rate a few dollars, to increase your maintenance penetration rate a few percentage points, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in gains to the bottom. And it, it always surprises me that it's not more of a, an eye opener or more of a, we need to make an immediate change as these things are, are realized. I think, uh, you know, it might've been Abraham Lincoln said something along the lines of people often mistake opportunity because it's disguised in overalls and looks like hard work. <laughs> work, you know, and it, we can spend money in the front end by way of advertising. And in these days, 
you can digitally target someone in a parking lot by use of Facebook or a social media app to get an ad in front of their face. So you spend enough money, you can get people in the front door. You have the right units too, which these days is a, is a challenge to have the right product on your showroom floor. But that's a, a method that can be successful. Mm-hmm. You actually have to put in the work in the back end because what we're doing is building human relationships. And we can't just click a button to do that. And that won't ever change. In fact, it's only going to get more important as we go more digital, more, you know, more hands off in the way that we interact with each other. People are going to gravitate more to the places that take the opposite approach and kind of the old way of getting to know you and and building value in in ourselves. You know, if, if you've got a I'm trying to think of other industries where you might have your guy for something, but if, if something goes wrong with the car or it's, it's time for uh, routine maintenance and you think, you know, Ryan's my guy, I go see Ryan. doesn't matter where Ryan is. You, Ryan and I have a relationship. I trust him. He's looking out for my best interest. You mentioned that in the consumer today opens the hood and it's just all covered in plastic. A lot of them don't know how to open the hood more than more don't know how to than do know how to. Wow know the best way to take care of their vehicle, nor will they, they're changing rapidly. You have to fill that gap as a service department and become, that's why they call it a service advisor. You should be advising them on the best way to take care of their car, to keep it enjoyable and efficient and dependable. So all too often service departments become, let's fix the broken wheel and let's only identify and, and, and go that mile. You came in because your mirror wouldn't go down or up. That's all we do. And we send you out the door. There's many, many shops and dealerships that can achieve that goal. And for the most part, most places can fix it right and maybe offer you a good price to do it. That's not enough. And that's going to increase your profitability or build you long-term customer relationships. Yeah, yeah. And not to mention a customer, and I think the number uh, is going to be accurate. I think a customer is eight times more likely to purchase their next vehicle from the dealership that they also get their service work or maintenance work done. Um, And and that's just incredibly significant because we all know that that second, third, and fourth car sold to that individual, it's an easier transaction. It's generally more profitable. And that customer is much more likely to refer additional customers to the dealership. So it 100%. just builds perpetual success. And you know, one thing is you're in and out of hundreds of dealerships. And, and again, you go in through the bay door instead of the show floor. And what are some of the common themes that you see that just get you excited about a well-run back-end operation at a dealership? Well, it really boils down to in a in a big picture from a hundred thousand foot view, it's the type of process that they enact or have that allows them to operate in a way that keeps the dealership employees' stress level low enough that they can one be themselves and create these relationships, but two, provide a consistent experience for the customer. I always we'll relate this back to other corporations that have done it well and propelled them to the top. And Starbucks is a good example. If you go to Starbucks in Seattle or New York City or Birmingham, Alabama, 
the experience is exactly the same. And I'm not talking about the way that it looks, although it might look similar. It's the things that they say, the order that they do them and how they approach you. So if a car dealership might have five service advisors, all of them most of the time are operating completely differently, dependent on their own comfort levels, their own beliefs and their own habits that they've developed over the years. So step one, and really the, the biggest step, although there's many facets to it, is that we're operating in a way and following a process that keeps the experience consistent, keeps it positive, and also allows us to build a routine upon this habit that then allows the employee to not have to spend all their time reacting. You know, if they're constantly in survival mode or fight or flight, and that's the norm, that's kind of the reason that uh, the service department employees sometimes burn out, it's long hours. And if they're constantly living in a, a world of problems, you know, if you think about it on one hand, one of the other reasons it's not Christmas every day in the service department is because people come in there because something's broke, there's a problem. It's not fun. They, they had to rearrange their schedule. It might've come in on a tow truck. Who's gonna take the kids to soccer practice? We don't have a car now. So if all you do is fix broken cars, that's not a very fun existence. And it's hard to build a relationship with the person who's fuming, who's got a crying kid on their hip and doesn't want to be there. Mm -hmm. So take control of our destiny by utilizing a process that focuses more on getting the customer in to take care of their car to prevent these unknown breakdowns. We'll never prevent them all, but we can do a, a great job of mitigating them and, and dramatically reducing them. That dealership will visibly have a different vibe, a, a different uh, culture, which is a totally different aspect that, that needs to be approached, but it's pretty evident and, and it boils down to process and it boils down to the approach of the team and the management and how they run the day and, and run that department. And, and a big part of what you do um, and what the individuals you work with do are really go in and help implement those systems and processes and culture. So what are some of the things a dealer can expect uh, when, when partnering um, with you and really allowing you into that trusted advisor role? Yeah, that's a great question. And that is really what we do. You know, the, the end result might be sale of preventative maintenance, but it's not what we go in and, and focus on. You know, that term, all ships rise with the tide, is really the semblance of what we're doing. What we do when we come into a dealership, you know, every dealership has a process, quote unquote, someone's given it to them, they wrote it up at some point at a meeting, but whether they're using it or not to its potential is the real question and 99 out of 100 or not. And one of the ways that I like to explain that to a, a dealership or a, an individual is every NFL team has a playbook, right? And they're all good, but why do only certain teams win? Because it's not just having the playbook, it's the way that that coaching team utilizes it and deploys it into the, into the game and into the, the minds of the players. Mm. What we come in and do is help first to identify some areas that probably could use some attention uh, within your entire program with how you greet customers, with how you schedule, with how you 
interact with them, uh, with how long it takes them to get communication back with what you say to them during the interactions, and then form that into a process that's different with every location, that's different with every brand, that's different with every store. You might have a dealership that has two buildings that are on the same uh, parking lot, and we might do things completely different in, in those two buildings. Once we build this process, and by the way, it's built with the team, it's not shoved down their throats. You know, the, the big problem that we're running into, not just in automotive, but across the board, we see people leaving their jobs at breakneck pace across the country. And some of these are related to pay and that needs to be addressed as well, but it's because they don't enjoy and they don't feel valued and taken seriously in their jobs. So we need to build a process as a team. If the service advisors or the technicians help to create the process, agree upon it and believe in it, they're so much more likely to make it a part of their day-to-day -day life. So we go through identifying opportunities, creating a process, and then teaching them how to employ it because it's not going to happen. You don't write it down on a piece of paper and hand it to your employees and assume that it's going to be enacted. And that is what most people do. You know, a, a dealership employee comes into the service department, often receives very minimal training, maybe from another service advisor, maybe the service manager giving them some help on how to get into the computer system, maybe write up a repair order, uh, cash out the customer, and it's sort of, they're left to their devices after that. So the more time that we put into building confidence and comfortability, building a tribe within the dealership that to depend on each other, that has a family atmosphere, now we can create some accountability. Now, if we have accountability and it just demands all the time, People aren't happy. They don't feel valued. It, it, it's never enough. You know, we set a record last month and we want more. So if we can create, you know, this tribe that works together, now we can have accountability that is built on comradeship and, and how can we help each other. There's a lot that goes into it, but these are some of the ways that we're going to look at how do we take the service department and not come in and give you some facts and figures and where you're falling short and jump out the door, but teach you how to do it and how to make it long lasting and fun because, you know, it's just as important for those employees to stay there once we've taught them how to be successful as it is to teach them how to be successful.